Well, all kidding aside, we could not be more thrilled than to have Jim Kena, lead pastor of EFree, here with us this weekend, bringing the word and sharing what God's doing in him and in the life of his church. And so would you please give a very warm Journey Church welcome to our friend Jim Kena. Shirt out. I am so excited about preaching here. I was warmly welcomed last night as I shared the service. And uh, there is a bit awkward uh, element to this, though, is that, as you could hear from the video, I invited myself here. <laughs> but uh, anyway, it went really well last night. Right now, Pastor Brian is preaching at the Evangelical Free Church. And uh, we should be praying for him and encouraging him and what he's doing. And I am privileged and honored to be here. I love Pastor Brian. He's a brother in Christ, a brother in ministry, and I respect what he does and his passion for seeing Christ uh, exalted in the valley and the gospel spread to uh, the community as well and around the world. I want to uh, import, though, uh, an element of our worship uh, at EFRI into this service here. And uh, what I'm going to have you do is stand and greet one another, but there's going to be one stipulation, okay? And I'll explain this stipulation in a moment. I want to draw a line right here, okay? Right down here. Everyone on this side can only greet those on this side, and everyone on this side may only greet those on this side. I do not want to see anybody on either side of this line wandering over to greet each other, okay? We have guards posted. So stand and greet one another. Obey the line. I am seeing some violation of the line in the back there. <laughs> this morning I'm going to preach on the mathematics of Jesus. Jesus plus two equals one. We're going to look at destroying walls and building community from Ephesians chapter two, verses 11 through 22. Let's pray before we get started. Father, we as a church body bind together right now and pray for Pastor Brian and the uh, the family of Christ at E-Free Church. Pray that you continue to use him, fill him with your Holy Spirit. May this be a transformational moment in our church and in him as well as he shares God's truth. Father, I pray for your Holy Spirit to be powerfully present in our hearts and our lives and that we would open our hearts to receive truth from you. So Father, I pray that you would, you would come in a powerful way and show us who we are in you and our relationship one to another. And we pray ultimately that you are glorified and your kingdom is expanded. And we pray this in the powerful name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, uh, I need to explain why I divided you into two groups. And, and what I'm going to do is, is you are going to represent over here on my right-hand side Jewish believers from the first century. So all of you say to one another, Shalom. All right, that was weak, but you could do better. All you on this side say shalom. shalom. 
that's better. Over here, you are Gentile believers in the first century. Turn to somebody and say, howdy. Yeah, all right. So we have shalom and howdy. We have Jewish believers and Gentile believers. And I think this will help us understand Ephesians chapter 2 just a bit better. Because one of the things I want you to see is to give you a historical background that that the city of Ephesus, this letter was written to by the Apostle Paul, was a significant city in the Mediterranean world. It's on the west coast of modern-day Turkey. And Ephesus was a significant political and economic center. But its real claim to fame was it was the place where the temple of Artemis was housed. In fact, this temple was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was fabulous and beautiful. Now, according to Acts chapter 19, the Apostle Paul, on his third missionary journey, came to the city of Ephesus. As was his custom, he went to the Jewish synagogue first and began to preach Jesus to the Jews in the synagogue. And many people in the synagogue became Messianic Jews. They believed in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And he stayed in the temple for three months. After a while, there was such a ruckus in the temple, what he was doing. He left the temple. Some of the believers followed him. He rented a hall in Ephesus and began to preach the gospel to the Jews and the Gentiles. And some of you Gentiles began to come to the hall, and you received Christ as well. And so there was forming this new organization called the church, comprised of believing Jews and believing Gentiles in the first century. Now, one of the things that we need to recognize is this was really a huge challenge to mix the oil and water of the two cultures together. Can you imagine maybe a modern equivalent would be a Christian missionary going to Israel and starting a church comprised of Israeli Jews and Palestinian Arabs? After years of hostility, the two were beginning to come together. Maybe a local equivalent with this could be like this. A, someone trying to plant a church comprised of Montana ranchers and vegans that belong to PETA. <laughs> Can you imagine how confusing the potlucks would be? Or, or, or starting a church with cat and grizz fans in the same room. It would be a challenge to do that. And he was undertaking a challenge of joining two very different people together into one new body called the Church of Jesus Christ. And the reality of what happened in the first century culture is there was a wall between the Jew and the Gentile. They really didn't care for each other. There was a high degree of animosity. And so one of the things we want to look at in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 to 12, is this wall is explained. It says what we once were before Christ. And in 2.11, this is what he writes. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be outsiders. Paul is a Jew and he's speaking to you Gentiles. He says, you know what you were? You were outsiders. There were racial, cultural, theological walls between the Jews and the Gentiles in the first century. And as a result, there was a general feeling of animosity between the two groups. And what do you do when you don't like somebody from another group? Well, you call them names. And that's what occurred here. It says, you Gentiles were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision 
even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. You know, the old rhyme, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is a lie. Words hurt deeply, and you engaged in name-calling against the Gentiles and called them uncircumcised heathens. Circumcision for the Jews was a sign of God's covenant promises and blessings. And they were in essence saying to the Gentiles, you are unloved and unaccepted by God. Now I can assure you that you Gentiles didn't take this line down. You too had the capacity to hurl insults back. Anti-Semitism was deep within the Gentile heart as well. And so there were slurs going back and forth between the two sides being launched over the wall that divided the two groups from one from another. Now what Paul does then in verse 12 is he gives a five-fold description of you Gentiles before you came to Christ. He says, in those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were Christless. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel You were stateless, excluded from God's covenant people. And you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You were ignorant. Ignorant of what God had promised Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and Joseph, and Moses, and David. All the blessed promises given to the Jewish people, you didn't know them. As a result of this, you lived in this world without God and without hope. You are godless and hopeless. Your situation was very desperate. So he talks about the wall, what we once were, and then he moves to destroying the wall, what Christ has done. In 2.13, he begins to describe what God has done. Now, to better understand the next few verses, it's best for us to just have a basic understanding of the Jewish temple at the time of Jesus. Because the architecture of the temple was a reflection of the attitudes of the Jewish people toward God and toward one another. So I think we're going to have here an artist rendering. Isn't that neat how I'm superimposed over it? There we go. And I want you to notice, I'm going to point out a couple of, a few things here. You see up in the upper part, there's this area called the Court of the Gentiles. And then notice below that there's a wall. And I'll bring that to your attention in a moment. You'll see down at the bottom, there's a sign, uh, a a label pointing to the women's court. And then above, you see at the top, an area called the court of Israel. Then there's the court of the priest. And then notice the holy place. Now, this I want to explain some of it to you. For you Gentiles, anyone, Jew or Gentile, could enter into the court of the Gentiles in the first century. Any of you could come in. Now, this is, again, a participatory sermon. So I want you to do something. I won't embarrass the majority of you. I want everybody to stand up. In the first century, if you were in Jerusalem, any of you could come into the temple. But then there was the wall between the court of Gentiles and the court of women. And on the wall, this is what was written. There was a stone inscription at each of the areas. It said this, let no foreigner enter within the partition and enclosure surrounding the temple. Whoever is arrested will himself be responsible for his death, which will follow. Have you ever seen signs at churches that say, visitors welcome? 
This says, visitors executed. And there was a physical wall right here. And all of you on this side need to be seated because you couldn't go any further. Now, there was another wall that separated the Jewish people, though. And the court of the women is where Jews, Jewish men and Jewish women could enter. But then there was another wall. And you know what? You women could not pass on the other side of the wall. Women, be seated. Then only you Jewish men could go into the court of Israel. There was a wall between the two of you, between Jewish men and Jewish women. And, and, and then there was another wall separating you from the court of the priest. Now, if you are like a pastor or you think you're a pastor, or a missionary, or a music leader, or something, I want you to remain standing, but everybody else sit down. All right. Now, the court of the priest, we have one brother here. Way to go. Court of the priest, only the priest, the clergy, could enter into the court of priest. Now, this is talked about in Hebrews 9, 6. The priests regularly entered into the outer room to carry on their ministry. So there was a wall separating the laity from the clergy, and only the clergy could enter. But there was a further wall as well, and you couldn't enter into that. You may be seated now. And this wall separated the court of the priest from the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. At the center of the temple was the most holy place. And in Jewish thought, this is where God dwelled among Israel. And in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 3, it talks about this holy place. It says, behind the second curtain, the wall was a curtain. Behind the second curtain was a room called the most holy place. Hebrews 9, 7 then says, but only the high priest, that's me. Only the lead priest, the senior priest. Only the high priest entered the inner room and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins the people had committed in ignorance. Ordinary priests couldn't enter into the most holy place. They did not have access to the dwelling place of God. Only the high priest, only one day a year, only with a blood sacrifice. And that's where God was. There were varying degrees of walls and segregation. Now that you have a basic understanding of the Jewish temple, its walls and so on, I want you to look at Ephesians 2.13 because this verse is radical. It's earth-shaking. It is unbelievable what Paul says here has occurred as a result of Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2, 13, it says this, But now in Christ Jesus, you, who is the you? You. You Gentiles. But now in Christ, you who were once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You can enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ by the virtue of the blood sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You can come into his presence. Now the radical news of the gospel continues. Take careful note of the personal pronouns. And this is so beautiful. He says this in verse 14. 
For he himself is what? Our peace. He is our peace who has, and this is the mathematics of Jesus, made the two one. He has made the two one and he has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Powerful language. How did he do this? By abolishing in his flesh the law with his commandments and regulations. Jesus didn't come to abolish the law. He came to fulfill the law and the righteous requirements of the law. And as a result, the ceremonial law has been rendered obsolete. Why did Jesus do this? Well, the answer is in verse 15. His purpose. This is his purpose, what he's all about. Was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two. The mathematics of Jesus. One new humanity is called the body of Christ, the church. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Here's the significance of this text. The wall between Jew and Gentile is destroyed. In Christ, we're one. But not only that, the wall between male and female is destroyed. In fact, this is how Paul describes it in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28. There is no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Ethnicity is not an issue. Gender, not an issue. Economic status, not an issue. We are united in the person of Christ because of his finished work. Next thing to also notice is the wall between clergy and laity has been destroyed. The wall between priest and parishioner has been torn down as a result. And you know who the priests are now? You are the priest. In fact, Peter describes it in this way in 1 Peter 2, 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. Scripture clearly states the priesthood of the believer. You have access to God and you can do ministry for God and ministry to others in the name of God. Lastly, see, the wall between you and God is destroyed. Remember back in Hebrews chapter 9, we saw that the wall was a curtain. And there was an event that happened at the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that was so significant that Matthew, Mark, and Luke recorded in a single sentence. And it says that right before Jesus died, that curtain that separated the court of the priests from the Holy of Holies where God dwelt was torn in two from the top to the bottom, signifying access to God. You can be in a relationship with God through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. We enter in the same way that the priests entered in through the blood of Jesus Christ. We can have a relationship with holy God. Verse 17, 
He came and preached peace to you. You who were far away and peace to those who were near, the Jewish people. And then for through him, we, first person plural pronoun, both have access to the Father by one spirit. Amazing. We can boldly approach the throne of God with confidence because of the faith we have in the finished work of Jesus Christ. We can boldly enter in. And as a result of this, the curtain has been torn down and we can enter in. And as a result of our new unity, then we need to work at building community. We want to see in verses 19 through 22 what we now have become. How do we build unity in the body of Christ? Let me give you three things that come to mind. First of all, we build unity by recognizing our mutual identity. We build unity by recognizing our mutual identity. Verse 19, consequently, this is a a word signifying result. As a result of what's happened and a result of your faith in Jesus Christ and what he's done for us, consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's family. Through Christ, we become one. Citizens of the same kingdom, members of the same family. We share the same spiritual DNA. It's the DNA of Jesus. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 20, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Jesus Christ himself as the chief cornerstone. What Paul desired is that the Gentile and the Jewish believers in Ephesus would experience a fundamental shift in their viewpoint of one another. He wanted them to see that what united them was far greater than what had divided them in the past. That their similarities far outweigh their differences. And in a similar fashion, Journey Church and Efree Church of Bozeman are joined together, that our similarities far outweigh our differences, that what unites us is far greater than what divides us. We may have different methodologies, but we have the same mission, the same message, the same Messiah. The reality is, in Romans chapter 12, verse 5, it says, Christ makes us one body connected to each other. And that's hard to live out sometimes, and we need to be intentional at building community. Let me tell you a story that shows that I'm still very much a work in progress. Uh, I I don't look like Jesus in many areas, and, and one of them is sometimes people just bug me. None of you here bug me. But other people, other places just get under my skin. And, and there, there's a particular type of person that just kind of, I don't know, grates on me. And, 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 and it's such that uh, Kim and I, my wife, I, I've, I've said to her, uh, I have a list. And I put people on this list of people that just bug me and irritate me. So sometimes I'll say to Kim, uh, she's on my list now. And let me tell you how this play this out. There's, there's a woman on my list uh, that I see uh, 
because of different things, maybe two to three times a year. They don't live here in Bozeman, uh, but, but I see them two or three times a year. And, and, and she just kind of, when I'm around her, just kind of, she gets under my skin. And I'll give you an illustration, because after you hear this, you'll, you'll understand how justified I am in my feelings. <laughs> we, we were in like a, a conference thing, and uh, the, uh, the meeting in the conference area was, was beginning to start. And, and, I, and I was having this uh, conversation, I think, with a pastor. And we pastors really have important, serious, deep conversations. And it was of substance about sports or something like that. And, and we were talking, and I was well aware that the meeting was starting in there. And I just wanted to finish my conversation. And, and she walked up to me, and she kind of looked at me and said... The meeting is starting now. And then she did this. She grabbed my arm and began to tug me toward the door. I'm 50. I am a man. I have a mother. I don't need another mother. And don't touch my elbow. <laughs> and the tone was just condescending, like, boys, get in there now. And I'm going, I'm not a boy. I'm a man. And don't you tell me where to go. I'll go when I'm ready. Don't you all agree she deserves to be on my list? Well, our paths crossed again in a major city here at a conference. And uh, uh, it was held in the big convention center, the conference was, and across the street was the hotel that I was staying in. And my hotel room was like on the 6th, 8th, 10th floor. It was pretty high up. And, and one morning I threw open the shades to welcome the sun into the room. It was like 7 in the morning, 6, 7 in the morning. And, and, and I looked out the window, and lo and behold, who do I see walking down the street? Her. And, and there was no cars in the street. There was, there was no people in the street. It was just her and her husband. And her and her husband, she and her husband were walking together. And you're not going to believe this. He was holding her hand. And I remember looking down going, he loves her. <laughs> I mean, this is a woman that makes me really appreciate Kim. And, and, and I looked, I said, he loves her. And it was like the Holy Spirit said to me, I love her too. I love her too. And I had a paradigm shift. She's still on my list. <laughs> She'll still irritate me. But I love her. I love her. Because she is loved by Jesus. And I viewed her as Jesus viewed her rather than as I viewed her. And in Journey and in Ephraim, we need to view each other as Jesus sees us.
And we need to view other believers in the body of Christ as Jesus views us. I like what Dwayne Elmer says. Since we bear God's image, no one is insignificant. No one is worthless. Life has meaning. And we have meaning and importance because God's own imprint is upon our humanity. And this is my favorite line. Thus we must see others as God sees them, treat them as he would, and name them as he names them. That woman is a beloved child of God and I'll introduce you to her in eternity. God loves her and has redeemed her and one of the things that we need to do is covenant together to see, treat, and name each other as God does. This pastor swap is a visible expression of an invisible truth. We are part of the body of Christ. There are no walls between us. Another thing is this, is by understanding the new reality. In verse 21, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling place in which God lives by his spirit. You pagans, Gentiles, you from Ephesus, probably many of you participated in pagan worship in the temple of Artemis. You knew well the temple of Artemis. And and you Jewish believers, you either have been to the temple in Jerusalem on a pilgrimage or you intend to go to the temple. You understood the temple well. But here's the reality. There's no longer a temple in Ephesus or Jerusalem. There's one temple and the temple is you. We, the body of Christ, is the temple. We are the dwelling place of God. The temple is no longer in a place. It's a people. It's no longer over there. It is here. It is no longer a what. It is a who. And the who is you. We are the dwelling place of God. We are being joined together, fit together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That's our new reality. Last thing is this, by protecting and pursuing community. I like what Paul says in Ephesians 4, 2 through 4. He says, always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other, making allowance to each other's faults, for each other's faults, because of your love. And then he says this, make every effort to keep yourselves united in the spirit, binding yourselves together with peace, for there is one body and one spirit. He reminds us that we're connected and he says, you know what? Maintaining unity is work. Make every effort to keep yourselves united. What we need to do is recognize that we are united relationally, but we may not be united experientially. And move from the reality of our unity to the experience of our unity. Uh, My wife, Kim, is here, and on August 21st, we're going to celebrate our 30th wedding anniversary. We're going to celebrate... Thank you. We're going to celebrate what occurred over 30 years ago. We walked into a church as singles, and and I stood before a pastor, before family, and before God, and, and I vowed vows to her, and she vowed vows to me, And in a beautiful, mysterious way, in the eyes of God, the two became one. That's reality. Hadn't always been 
experientially. A short time after we were married, we had a disagreement. I forgot what I did wrong. (laughs) And the two who were one didn't feel one. And I remember there were times where we began to drift apart relationally, experientially. And there was a time I said to myself this simple truth. I vow to vow. That we are one, whether we feel one. And one of the things I've recognized that whenever I don't feel like one with Kim, that when I act upon the unity, I soon afterwards experience the unity. I've figured out that I can act my way into a better way of feeling more quickly than feel my way into a better way of acting. And I act upon our oneness. And when I act upon our unity, experientially, the feelings return. We bring back that loving feeling that was gone, gone, gone. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, whoa. And in the same way, we are one. We may not feel it, but when we pursue it and act upon it, experientially, we will feel and experience the unity. Here's some closing points. Recognize that our unity is eternal and our differences are superficial. The primary differences between Journey Church and Ephraim Bozeman is methodologies, not method. So don't get hung up on methods. Remember the unity we have. Another thing is this, is theology unites and our methodologies distinguish us. The things you do make you journey and the things we do make us e-free. Another thing is this, is we need to do the hard work of protecting unity by speaking and believing the reality about one another in the body of Christ. What comes to your mind when you think of e-free church? Grace Bible Church, Christian Center, Spring Hill Community Church, Gallatin Valley Presbyterian, the Methodist Church. What comes to our mind reveals what's in our heart and what's in our thinking. And we need to covenant together that we be careful what we say about one another in the body of Christ and build each other up in the body of Christ with our lips and pursue it. And we need to pursue community by exploring ways that we can cooperate for the glory of God and the furthest of the gospel. Because God is most glorified when we are most unified. And the unbelieving world wants us to see love. That we love each other. And love for one another is the final apologetic to the unbelieving world, to the authenticity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The furtherance of the gospel in the Gallatin Valley and around the world is at some level contingent on the amount of love we show to one another in the body of Christ. Isn't that amazing? Let's wrap things up. I want you over here to look at your brothers over here and say howdy. And I want you over here to look at your brothers over here and I want you to say shalom. Let's pray. Father, we celebrate what you have done through your son, Jesus Christ. We love the gospel. 
And the gospel message is that the believing, repentant sinner can be joined into your body. And I pray if someone here isn't in your family, may they turn to you in faith today and enter. Thank you for the curtain being torn down and that anyone through the sacrifice of Jesus Christ and faith in his finished work can enter into your presence with boldness and confidence. We can draw nigh. And I pray that each person here is a member of your family, a part of your community of faith. And Father, I pray that we as your believers, your children, would protect and promote unity in this valley and that you would be glorified by our love for one another and the unbelieving world would testify to our love and turn to you. It's in the powerful name of your son, Jesus, that we pray. Amen.